uh, to Seer Bible Church. If by chance I haven't had the opportunity uh, to meet you and shake your hand and welcome you, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, <clears throat> I get to handle teaching the Word of God on Sunday mornings and uh, just thankful to do so. And if you happen to be new, uh, one of the things that we want to do to get to know you is we want to encourage you to go to our info booth after the service on the right-hand side, uh, my right-hand side, your left. It's kind of not too hard to miss. It's that big desk that sits out in the uh, foyer. And we got a couple gifts for you. We got a free book for you and uh, a free cup of coffee in our coffee shop. And so it's a great way for you to uh, get connected. In fact, um, we actually have uh, redone, we're in the process of redoing our coffee shop. So if you want to go back there, take a look at uh, what we've done in there. It looks really, really good. And we're still in the process of um, changing out all of our digital stuff. I know those of you who are part of our church, we've been working on this for, for quite a while, raising funds for it and then implementing it. But our screens have been going out, and so we're replacing our screens. And uh, Brad and uh, his volunteer base have been hard at work at the info booth. If you just look behind you, you might notice it does look uh, a little different, and it's way more uh, easier for, for the guys back there. And, and uh, pretty soon we'll be tackling the screens. We're actually going to be sending all of our video feed stuff next door for overflow for Easter services and Christmas Eve and things like that. Uh, and then into the nursery, we've had the nursery workers who help out in their request that they could hear the sermon and see the sermon, so we'll be piping it in there. Uh, and then for those of you, when you're sick, listen carefully now, when you're sick or when you're out of town, we'll be launching uh, within a couple months' time uh, a live uh, video feed of our messages as well. So it's important that you hear what I just said. When you're sick, okay, uh, video feeds are not to be a replacement for sitting next to another Christian and fellowshipping in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, so we know there's a need for it. It's actually the number one requested thing I get uh, as, uh, from, from my perspective. People want what they want new and technologically. When I'm sick, when I'm out of town, I want to hear. So, um, and, and so, you know, we have a lot, and I'm not kidding when I say this, we have a lot of extended family members that are part of Sierra Bible Church uh, that live here part-time, and, and they don't, they're not here full-time, and we are their church when, and when they're here, and they give to this church financially. They serve when they are here, and, and they want to continue to connect with the messages, and so uh, just so you know, th- those are the reasonings behind that, and as we continue to just uh, refresh in the church, you know, we do that not necessarily for those of you who are already part of our family. We recognize that if you're part of our family, you come because you understand the vision, you love the Word of God, and you love Jesus. And when we change things, we're doing it in the mind uh, or from the, uh, the viewpoint, if you will, if someone who doesn't know Jesus comes for the first time or someone who's coming for the first time, we recognize that we, we already, before they sit in the seat, we've already preached multiple messages to them. And, and when the building looks good and when our staff is friendly and when our greeters actually smile and they shake your hand and they give you a Snickers bar, uh, there, there's a message that, that we're giving those who come for the first time that we care and that we love them and that we want them to come to find Jesus here. And, and when we do that, uh, whenever we make changes, I want you to know, we, we never just pull uh, money from the budget to make that happen. You know, we, we try to do that in a very conservative way. Uh, we try to do it as free as possible, just like God's grace. If it's free, it's for me. Uh, and so um, that's just the inside a couple things we're doing. Um, we are going to be in the book of Ruth again this morning. So we've been journeying through that. And we're going to specifically look at some characteristics of Boaz from Ruth chapter 3. And I think it's fitting for Father's Day. I think there's a message here uh, for the men in the room that'll be really fitting for us as guys. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 3. 
If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will gladly hand you a Bible. Just keep your hand raised, and, and they'll give you that. Uh, and while they're doing that, I want to make a note of a couple things that you can get involved in that will be really helpful for us. One is uh, in July 8th through 11th, so uh, a few weeks, a, few, a week into July, we're launching our Vacation Bible School. And each year that we've done this, we have uh, well over 100 kids who attend Vacation Bible School. It requires anywhere between 30 to 40 volunteers. And Brad let me know this week that as of now, we're a little low on volunteers. And so we're looking for some people who'd be willing uh, to sign up and help serve kids. And we also want you, of course, to sign your kids up. And you can do that two ways. You can do it the old school way. Again, the info booth, the hub. You can go there and you can use a, a pencil or a pen and a pad of paper. So if you like old school, you can do that. Uh, if you like new school, just go to sbctrucky.com. On the front page of the website is a VBS picture. Click the picture. It's clickable. It'll take you to the sign up for either volunteer or for your kids. And so, Brad, is there anything you want to say out loud real quick about Vacation Bible School that is necessary or... Go team. So Brad's hard to miss. If you want to sign up, he's your guy. You just go to him too. He'll take care of you. Uh, and then here, here's another thing we're doing in July that's really neat. Uh, July 19th, this is for, now listen carefully now, this is for married couples. This is if you're dating and if you're single and you're looking for a good opportunity to invite uh, a good looking somebody with you somewhere, we're going to do here at the church uh, a what's called a holy hoedown. So we're actually going to feed you and we're going to do square dancing and we're going to encourage you to dress up uh, like a cowboy or a cowgirl, which shouldn't be too difficult for some of you. And uh, we want to encourage you to come and to dance and to fellowship. And uh, you can sign up, uh, I think, online for that. I'm not exactly sure. Tammy, is it online or is it just info booth? Just old school right now, uh, info booth. But we want to encourage you to dress up and, and come and dance. So guys, when we talk about Boaz, Boaz know, knew how to get a lady. And uh, we're encouraging you, if you're a single guy, this would be a great event to take a girl too, yeah? Make it super awkward. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to help you guys out. I hear you guys grumbling and mumbling out there. That's not bad advice. It isn't. I'm married. I have four kids. I know something. Um, okay, and then the last thing is uh, uh, at Christmas time last year, we sent a financial gift and some gifts to, um, uh, to some children in India, and they wrote us several letters uh, the kids did in receiving um, those gifts. And I want to encourage you again, the same hub, there's a, mission, a missions wall. There's some letters for some of the kids from the gifts that we sent them. And I just want to encourage you to go read some of them. I think you'll be really touched at what God is, is doing in, in their lives and what God's doing through you and your generosity worldwide. So make sure you take a look at that. So hopefully I haven't given you too much information. Um, we're going to dive in to uh, Ruth chapter 3. So again, we mentioned we love God's word here. We care deeply about God's Word. If you're able to this morning, uh, would you stand with us as we honor the reading of Scripture uh, and reading from <clears throat> Ruth chapter 3? Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. 
Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morn and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose, but before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing, hold it out, so she held it out. He measured out six measures of barley, put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man, man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave for me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> so we have this beautiful story between a man and a woman. The woman who is a Moabite woman, she actually belonged before uh, chapter 3 to a place that did not worship God. And out of faith, after losing her husband, Ruth, now a widow, moves to Bethlehem with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she gleans from the fields of Boaz, and she happens to fall upon this field of Boaz, by chance, we're told. And the Hebrew word by chance is, is kind of a, the language that's used is meant to be sarcastic, that, that God actually has been working behind the scenes in Ruth's life. He's been working behind the scene in Boaz's life to bring this man and this woman together. Boaz notices her. He blesses her in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth scheme to bring Boaz, hopefully, to a place of asking her to marry himself. Before we do that, I want to highlight to you that there is a mega theme throughout this particular text, with, not only within this text, but really the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that theme we brought up last week, and it's the word, the Hebrew word, hesed, God's kindness. If you do any study of Ruth, if you open up any commentary or you go to a, a Bible dictionary or a Bible handbook and you start to look into the idea of Ruth and what uh, a theme in Ruth should be, uh, brought about is that theme, that God is kind and he's loyal. That's what has said means, that he's loyal, that God is loyal, that he's kind, and that he has a particular kind of love and kindness towards humanity. Um, the message this morning is that we will see God's has said ultimately uh, inside of Boaz, in Boaz. I think a, a better title wouldn't just be God's has said, but uh, has said in Boaz. Last week, we, we put an emphasis on Ruth. And this morning, we'll put the emphasis on Boaz. And so it's timely in that today we celebrate the fathers in the room. We celebrate, hopefully, godly 
manhood. Now, we live in a culture where probably rightfully so, the, the pendulum has swung, and we now live in a day and age where, where the idea of, of false masculinity is under attack, that men over the years have used their manhood to abuse women or their power to abuse other people. And I, and I think to some degree that is true. And to another degree, though, the Bible puts an emphasis on manhood as a good thing, that, that there's a particular way a man should live, and that particular way should to typify and exemplify the hesed and the kindness of God. So men typically typically fall into two categories when sin has its way. Category one is chauvinism. I'm a machismo, right? I'm a guy, and I do what I want, and I talk dirty, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a tough guy. The other one is cowardice. They don't say anything. They don't lead. They don't guide. You actually see this in Genesis. Do you remember in Genesis when Eve takes a bite of the apple? Adam is not seen, and Adam ends up blaming Eve. He doesn't take responsibility for the actions of the fall. He says, it was the woman, God, that you gave me, which is funny because the language is such that Adam actually blames God for the sin. If you didn't give me a woman, I would have never fallen, right? Those are the two pendulums. And naturally, to just elevate the women in the room, naturally, women are typically good leaders and good servants, and I have the biblical text to prove it. First of all, if you look, when Jesus is crucified on the cross, who is it that is mentioned that is sitting at the feet of the cross? It's the women. When he is resurrected from the dead, who is it? It's the women. When the, 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 the beautiful anointment of Jesus' feet with the very expensive alabaster jar, it's the woman who bathes Jesus' feet in such sacrificial love. Men typically are either seen criticizing the great extravagant gift, or you see them running from the cross, hiding from the persecution they may receive, or doubting, as Thomas did, that Jesus was resurrected. Now, this isn't just to beat the guys up. This is just to say that this is kind of the typical sinful reaction that occurs in the fallen humanity of mankind. Then God says to men, if you will do what is unnatural to you, which is to be kind and loving and a leader, your wife will thrive and your children will thrive and society will thrive. And so when the, the Bible and a church that is biblical teaches the elevation of male leadership, they're not de-emphasizing women. They're saying, no, 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 we, we know what we know is women will naturally do it. So we don't need to pick on you, right? But we do need to pick on the guys a little bit. And so here we see in Boaz the hesed of God, the kindness of God. Let me give you a new definition I didn't have last week in regards <clears throat> to hesed. The Hebrew word hesed is central to God's identity. He describes himself in the Bible as abounding in hesed. Hesed encompasses so many aspects of love and loyalty that no one word or phrase translates it fully. Hesed is defined, therefore, as covenant kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, faithful love, unfailing love, great love, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, loyalty come together in this one wonderful word. Hesed means that God includes our most painful losses in his unbreakable promises to bring us 
lasting joy. I like this definition. It's probably a better definition than I could give on my own, and it emphasizes that this word is a complicated, nuanced, beautiful word, speaking again of how good and kind and loving our God is. In Exodus chapter 34, if you remember the story where Moses encounters God through the burning bush, and Moses asks that he can see God's face. Would you allow me to see who you are? And God says, I can't do that because it'll destroy you. So instead, he turns Moses around, puts him in the cleft of the rock, and God's presence just barely passes by Moses. And as he passes by, this is what God says of himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, that is to say, abounding in said, keeping said, which is steadfast love, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So all that to be said, we're meant to see in this beautiful book the said of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. And in that, as we look at Boaz, we'll see that Boaz practices said. So Boaz As we study Boaz, we look at Boaz and we say, this is a man that we should imitate. This is a man that we should duplicate. Not because he is a a, a, just a godly man, but because Boaz points us to the ultimate God man. If you remember, Boaz says to Ruth, and and he doesn't know that he's echoing into the Gospels for us. He says to Ruth, he says to her, I am your Redeemer. I can be a kinsman Redeemer. I can marry you. I can give you hope. However, there is a Redeemer that is closer than I. And that points for us, for all of us in the church, that there is a Redeemer that is closer than that of Boaz, closer than any character that is in the Bible, and that ultimate Redeemer points us to the one who will win all of our love in the end, and that is Jesus. Amen? You know why this is really important? Because I am going to pick on the guys a little bit. I'm going to encourage the guys this morning. And the wives in the room, you're going to sit silently, and you're going to be like, yeah, get them. Right? And then the guys are going to feel like, oh, man. He's challenging me. But can I just say this to the ladies? You cannot put, you cannot put the said of God onto your husband or onto another spouse or onto another human being because they can never fulfill what only God can fulfill. Are you with me? So even though we look at Boaz, you can't, and, and we're talking about the men growing in their faith and being encouraged and strengthened in their faith, ladies, don't make your man a Messiah. He's not a Messiah. He's he's a man that points you to the Messiah. He points you to the better Redeemer. He points you to Jesus. And so we're going to see inside of of, uh, Boaz this morning how he does that. Before I do that, though, let me just emphasize a little bit background for Ruth that we saw last week in Ruth, just by way of reminder. One, we saw that Ruth practiced love and loyalty. She stuck by Naomi no matter what. She had a meek and quiet spirit. In this particular passage, laying at the feet of Boaz, is an ex- a great example of humility, a great example of service. She's laying down at his feet and saying, I will serve you. I will be there for you. I will be your wife. It's also a recognition, ultimately, of her understanding that Boaz has the power to redeem her or to reject her, and that God also has the ultimate power. Sinclair Ferguson says about Ruth, in Ruth, these qualities are evident, the qualities of said. he's speaking of said in Ruth, in which she responds to harsh providences. This is just by way of reminder that that Ruth has been dealt a heavy blow. She has lost her husband. She has lost her brother-in-law. She has lost her family. She left 
Moab, it tells us in chapter one, she left her family to come to Bethlehem. She's lost absolutely everything only for the hope that she would hopefully help Naomi and maybe find salvation in this God, Yahweh. And she sees these harsh providences, this is important, and she recognized them and she submitted to the hand of God through them. She had heard and trusted the covenant word of God. That is what meekness is, submission to God's providence, listening to God's voice. Sinclair Ferguson goes on and says, meekness is saying, Lord, you have said it, you've done it, and since this is so, I will trust you. And so Ruth responds incredibly with God's said. In that she recognized, that word providence is a big word, and it's, a, it's a, a theme in Ruth, that God is underneath, the word providence is that God is underneath everything that happens in life, both good and bad, and that he's using it to shape you and mold you and point you to Jesus, and not just you, but to point others to Jesus. And she recognized that in the good and the bad, that God would ultimately use it for our good humanity's good, and Jesus' ultimate glory that people would be brought to salvation. You with me? This is huge because some of you have been dealt heavy blows. Some of you have gone through some hard things. Some of you, Father's Day brings about an emotional kind of roller coaster ride for you. It's difficult sometimes to celebrate Christmas for some people because Christmas is a reminder that some family is no longer with us. But what Ruth points us to is that in the harshest of providences, in the hardest of times, that God will use that narrative and use that story to bring about great salvation to many because he is loving and he is kind and he is a God who is merciful and gracious who wants to bring thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and millions of people to Jesus Christ. And so Ruth gives us this image of a humble woman willing to submit to the good and the bad under the glory of God to see many come to Jesus. Do you think she had any idea, my friends, that one day she would give birth to a son and that son would be the grandfather of King David and King David would bring about the lineage of Jesus Christ and then through Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection would bring about the goodness of this family that sits in this room this morning. Come on. Is that not good news? We should celebrate that a little bit more. I like how, I like sometimes in, in a white church, we just don't know what to do. <laughs> do I clap now? And then when we do clap, we like, all right. You can rebuke me later for that. Um, <clears throat> so I want you to now picture, we, moving from Ruth to putting the emphasis on the Hesed in Boaz. And I want you, I want to paint the picture here. For you men in the room, whether you're single or whether you're married, just step into the text here for a moment. You've been working in the field all day. You're, you're sweaty. You're tired. It's late. And after being late and working in the field, you've been filled with good food, good fellowship. You've had a few drinks. The text says it. Don't rebuke me. It says it in the text. You're looking at the stars. You're contemplating God's goodness in your life. Slowly, you fall asleep, and suddenly, you are startled with movement at your feet because someone is there. That someone smells beautiful, looks beautiful. The atmosphere literally transitions between rest and contemplation to an atmosphere of temptation and danger. What would you do? What will Boaz do? We have a man before us that, that if you're reading the text and you think, this is risque, it is meant to be read that way. 
This is why you have to read your Bible. Because when you read it, you go, that can't be in there. Now this, again, ladies, this is not written for you to duplicate. This is not how you get a man. We're not going to create a reality show on this on how to get a man. And you say, okay, the Bible told me to dress nice, smell nice, sneak into his house in the middle of the night and lay down at his feet. Bad idea. Now some of the single guys are like, man, if only. That's why I'm not married. She hasn't stuck into my house yet. Bad idea. I've got to be careful when I start going down this path. I'm going to get in trouble. <clears throat> and there's a reason. There's a reason why Boaz doesn't do what many characters, whether, whether biblical or not, whether sin-filled or righteous-filled, that he doesn't take advantage of Ruth. If you remember, Boaz, Boaz recognizes that she's a beautiful woman. He says it here when he sees her at his feet. He says, Blessed are you for being kind to me because you could have gone after a younger, richer man. But you didn't. And I think the reason that Boaz doesn't run after, I'm sorry, Ruth doesn't run after and do what she did, and that she didn't go after a younger man, as Boaz said, is because she saw what we've been told about Boaz. Chapter 2, verse 1, that he was a worthy man. See, we're told in the biblical text that Boaz was a man of substance. He was a man of character and great riches and great wealth. He was a man to be duplicated, to be honored, to be looked at. And so I think Ruth saw this man and said, that is a worthy man. That is a man to run after. Here's my hope this morning, that the men in the room would want to leave here and say, I want to be a worthy man. And the ladies in the room would pray for our men in the church that they would be worthy men that your husband would be a worthy man. I want to read to you, um, I hijacked this Bible this morning. So, you know, people, uh, I've made the joke before, if, if you want a Bible, you can get one, we'll give you one, you can keep it. Just raise your hand and we'll give you one and you can keep it. Or, or you can get a more expensive, nicer Bible in our bookstore. Or if you want a slightly used, really nice Bible, there's some in the lost and found. This is one of them. And, uh, and so they're here this morning, and I didn't want I, I to point them out, but their son, who in the first service was in our children's church, this is his Bible. This is a Bible of an eight-year-old boy. And this eight-year-old boy's Bible, it was given to him by his dad. I wasn't aware of this until this morning, so I just got this this morning. I want to read to you what his father wrote to his son when he gifted him this Bible. He says to his son, as you continue to grow into a man, I pray that you will look to God for your guidance on all of your adventures. If you choose to follow him, you become a part of this story. I pray that you come to see God's love, grace, and strength, and that you will find the freedom that comes from knowing him. I love the boy that you are, and I look forward to seeing you grow into the amazing man that I know you will be. Love always, Dad. Isn't that good? That's good. <clears throat> I might give it back, or I might give it to my son, change the name. Um, we want men that have that kind of heart, and Boaz gives us lessons in how to do that. What does it mean to be a worthy man? What does it mean to be a man that puts the focus on Jesus? It literally means this. First of all, this first point, which we'll, 
really tie all my other points this morning is this. First major point this morning, Boaz was a man who centered his life around God. He, he made God like the sun, and he was a planet. And he allowed his whole life to orbit around God. We would call this a God-centered life. Or for us New Testament Christians, New Covenant Christians, we would say this is a gospel-centered life. Boaz was a man who literally took his life and said, I want my life to be blessed by God. And he knew for that to happen, he was going to have to do everything he did to revolve his life around God. And the thing that he did is he said, not only do I want my life to be centered around God, but I want my life to be so attractive by being centered around God that other people want to join me in centering their lives around God. And so as Boaz lived his life, he brought his workers in the field into that relationship with God. He brought Ruth into the field, into that relationship with God. And it meant literally that he said, I want my life to center around God. And because I love God so much, and I know that God is so good and so kind, I want others to be brought into the said of God's kindness so that together we're all revolving our entire lives around the said and the goodness of God. That's what it means to be a worthy man. In addition to that, he tells us because he has made God the center of his life, we see that, that, that Boaz is steadfast. He's a self-controlled man. The only reason he's able to sit in this dark space with this beautiful woman at his feet and not take advantage of her is because he is poised and he is self-controlled. I've always said there's one way to kind of really know what kind of uh, man a, a guy is. And that is enter into some kind of formal competition with that guy. Play a game of pickup basketball with a guy. See what kind of duty he is. Pick up a game of flag football, volleyball. It doesn't matter what it is. As soon as a guy gets into a competitive atmosphere with another person, the realness of that man comes out. But the Bible, I think, teaches us here another way to really see what kind of man a man is. And that is just wake him up from a dead sleep. What happens when you're just startled awake? What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Yesterday, my, my little sister, my, my youngest sister, she graduated high school. And we celebrated her, and we loved on her, and it was emotional because, because my dad, her dad, is no longer with us. And so I had to stand in my dad's place yesterday and say, this is what I think dad would have shared with you. I think he'd be proud of you. He would tell you that he loves you. It was an emotional day. After it was all said and done, I went home, my wife and I, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon after a long day, hot in the sun. And I don't know if you were at graduation, but the, a, wind, a wind came through and literally lifted up several of the tents on the field, which then became what I call death tents. I mean, it was, it was quite, quite the atmosphere. Luckily, no one got hurt that I know of. And, uh, and after going home, I, I laid down on the couch. I put on a show uh, that I knew I would fall asleep to, and I passed out on the couch. Baby David went to sleep. The kids were upstairs doing their thing. They had a quiet time. And then all of a sudden, I was startled awake with screaming and yelling and fighting and arguing. It's, it, the first thing out of my mouth wasn't, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> On my days off, which are typically Friday and Saturday, I'll sleep in a little later than the kids, not by much, because the kids will awaken me. And I'll hear screaming, yelling, fighting, arguing, screaming, yelling, fighting, arguing, and I'll notice that the bedroom door's open, and I'll think to myself, Allie, don't you know I'm sleeping? Why isn't the door closed? I asked her that one time. You know what she said? It's time to get up. That's why the door's open. 
You need to help me with this chaos. Boaz was a man that, that his integrity in God was so rooted and so deep within his character that when he's awakened and startled with a beautiful woman at his feet, he is steadfast and he is self-controlled. He typifies Proverbs chapter 3. If you have your Bible with, me, uh, with us this morning, would you please turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and read with me the language that is written here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of of years, length of days, and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Notice what he says here before we move on. He says, obey my commandments. This is a mother speaking to a son, a man, that, a, a young boy will come a man one day. Obey my commandments. It will add years of life to you if you do this. It will add years of peace to you if you do this. And then he gives us the commandments. Let not steadfast love, let not said and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not, wise in, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Boaz was a man who was tremendously blessed. And in doing so, we see the steadfastness of him. We see his said within him. And in verse 9, it says that he honored the Lord with his wealth. Quite literally, this was a man who owned a field, maybe multiple fields. And he went above and beyond. He gave from his field. He loved Ruth through his field. Remember in chapter 2, she, she walks away with, with over 50-something pounds of food she takes home, which is about two weeks' worth of food is what she took home in chapter 2. And she was just supposed to get just a little bit. And instead, Boaz sends her with a lot. I think one of the things that we need to understand to, to give said within, within our church is that we need to understand that we should give of our wealth. We should give of what is good to others because of how wealthy and rich we are as a culture and as a church. What's been really cool last week, if you remember, I gave a challenge in our next steps and said, as a next step, would you invite someone over to your house and would you encourage them and just love on them, and feed them, and see what God does. And I shared with you, I think this service got to hear it, that there was a gentleman in the, the first service, and then the first service, he said to me, you know, you told me to have a meal with somebody, and he said, I, I've had a couple medical conditions, and, and I haven't been able to work, and so I don't have a lot of money. And he said, literally, I've been living on beans and rice for the last several weeks. And he said, so you gave that challenge, and he said, I scoffed at you. So I was like, I can't feed somebody. I can't give somebody the gospel and feed them. I can't afford to do it. And so he, he said, you know what? God challenged me, and I did it anyways. I had $37 in my bank account. I spent $30 for a meal between us. He said, it left me with $7 for the rest of the week. He said, I did it. Had a great conversation. She's thinking of coming to church. It was really good. Thank you for challenging me. And he said, but I want you to know, a few days later, somebody anonymously gave me $400. He said, nobody knew what I was going through. I haven't advertised it. They didn't know the gift that I gave. And, and, and God honored me, and now I've got 400 bucks in my pocket. 
And what's crazy is I shared that story last week, and through the generosity of someone in the church, they contacted me and said, hey, listen, we heard about that, and, and we'd like to give, if we could give anonymously so that he can eat for a little while longer, are we able to do that? And I said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> well, I said, of course you can. Of course you can. It reminded me of the story, and maybe some of the guys will relate to this. This is kind of a man's story to a certain degree. When I was working at a church in San Diego, uh, I wasn't making a lot of money at the church, and so uh, I, I had to cut my budget real tight. And I remember, um, I remember every Sunday we had this tradition, the pastoral team and, and some of the other volunteers at the church, we were located uh, right across the street from a Mexican restaurant called El Portal. And El Portal sold, and probably still says, sells as far as I know, the best carne asada fries you've ever had. And it is exactly what it said. It's carne asada and french fries, okay? And then, and then some crack because it's super addicting and super enjoyable. <clears throat> I'm not, I'm kidding. There's not crack on the carne asada fries. And, uh, and so anyways, we had this tradition to go and eat, and I had 10 bucks in my pocket, and that's all I had for the, for the rest of the week until pay, the next pay period. And I was saving the $10 for carne asada fries on this particular Sunday to go fellowship and be blessed with God's has said in carne asada fries. And so we, as we're sitting in the service, I, I don't know what the pastor said. Maybe he didn't say anything at all. Maybe it was just the spirit. And I heard God tell me inside my head, inside my heart, wherever it came from, you've got to give your $10. You've got to put it in the offering box, and you're going to have to go without. And I just like, <laughs> no, Lord, you get me. You know. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not built for fasting. And so I was like, I, I, can't, I can't not eat. And, and, and long story short, I took the $10 after arguing with God, and, and said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give it to the mission, put it in the box, and what was, was walking next to uh, next door with my buddies. I figured at least I'd get the fellowship time in, and, and I'll watch them eat, you know, vicariously live through them. And as we're walking across the street, I look down, and there's a $20 bill. Now, let me teach something that's important. I would never tell you that that is a biblical principle that if you give 500 in here today, you'll get 1,000 at some point this week, okay? That isn't what God says. What God says is you give to the mission of God. When you give in that box, and I'm not just talking about your wealth financially in the box. I'm talking about dinner with people, helping people behind the scenes, doing things that no one will ever know about. When you do that, you do it not to get anything from God. You do it because you've already received from God. You've already gotten, and you want others to get. And in order for others to get You've got to be able to practice his said, which is gracious, kindness, free things into people's hands. And just so you know, through your generosity and giving, we give away free books, free events, free counseling, free marriages, free funerals. We do everything we can to make Jesus Christ accessible to people who cannot afford it or who would never partake in it if you didn't. Amen? Are you with me on this? This is what it means to, to be a person who honors the Lord with your wealth. You don't just hold it and hoard it. You give it because God has already been super kind to you. And I've heard leaders over the years say things like this. We can't keep giving things away for free. And if you ask why, they'll say, because then they'll take advantage of it. And then I'll say, okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken advantage of God's kindness? Have you ever taken advantage of God's kindness? And the answer for everyone in this room, just in case you said no, let me correct you. You have. And what is God's response? More has said, more grace and more kindness. And so we practice it in abundance because God gives it to us 
in heaps. Yeah? So good. He's so good. And we see this in Boaz. Not only is he steadfast, but he goes above the law of God. He goes above it. See, in in this day and age, God said to the Israelites, if you own a field, leave the leftovers. Just the leftovers. Leave it for the people who are in need. Leave it for the widow. Leave it to the fatherless so that they can take it and they can provide for themselves. And, and what Boaz could have done, which many Israelites did, is they just would do the basis of the law. Just, I'm just going to give what I have to give, right? When the Bible says give 10%, and you'll have Christians say, okay, I'm just going to give 10%. But that wasn't Boaz's response. Boaz was, okay, I'm not going to just give a tenth of my field. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm actually going to tell my workers to take what they've been collecting and to take a portion of what they've been collecting and give it to Ruth so that Ruth will be overly blessed, And so we do the same thing as the church. We should do the same thing as Christians. We don't just take the bottom line of God's law and say, well, this is what it takes to meet the requirement. No, that's just, that's like the baseline. But when you become a gracious person, you say, I'm going to go even farther. I'm going to go more above that which is actually taught within Scripture so I can be a huge blessing to other people. What's really incredible, I I shared this in the first service, you know, a few weeks weeks back, uh, uh, man, maybe it was a year ago. A gentleman in the church said, I want to have lunch with you. I want to talk with you. And sometimes when that happens, I get a little nervous. Because, because it, sometimes when someone says they want to talk with me, what they mean is, I have an issue with your leadership, and I have an issue with something you've been sharing, and I want to talk about it. And so we went down, me and this gentleman, we went down to Tacos Alisco, which is where all good Christian transactions occur. And, um, and we sat down, and I was preparing for my, myself probably wrongfully so, to have a conversation that, you know, to admit maybe I did something wrong. I say things I don't always mean to say. I don't always communicate the way that I want to, and I don't always lead uh, in a way that I should, and, and, and I can only do that because I know that we point people to Jesus, and he's the ultimate leader, and he's who we look at. I'm not the perfect one. So I'm preparing, and he sits down, and he says, okay, I need, I need you to know I've been holding on to about $15,000 for a few years now, and God's just pressed it on my heart and told me it's time to let it go and give it to him. And I just want to know, like, if I give this to you, where are some places that it's needed? And I was like, well, this is a lot better than being rebuked. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, here, here's a couple places. Uh, I gave him three, I think, places that we're trying to accomplish as a church. We have some goals we're trying to do. And, uh, and he said the, the one that he caught on to was some of the stuff we did with the children's church next door, which is thriving and growing and doing well. And he gave funds to the children's church program, which is still paying dividends today. I shared that in the first service, and uh, I don't want to put him on the spot, but he, he actually showed up in the second service, and I was like, you, you won't believe this, like, because he doesn't live here anymore. And he knew he was moving. That was the amazing thing to me, was this individual came, and he was like, yeah, you know, like, like we're not even, this isn't even our church family anymore. We're going to be moving, but we believe in the mission of God here, and we want to see God be incredibly blessed. He went above and beyond for the kingdom of God. And those kind of stories, I could tell you so many more stories where people have said, we want to use our wealth, and we want to use what we have so that other people will come to Jesus, so kids will come to Jesus, so fathers will come to Jesus, and so women will come to Jesus, so people who've never thought they would ever become Christians would come to Jesus. And we do that together, sacrificially. Again, why? Because we've made the gospel and we've made Jesus the ultimate center of our lives. Amen? Come on, that is some good stuff. You can clap. It's okay. <laughs> I have to give you permission beforehand, right? 
This is what John Piper says in regards to this. He says, whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find a way find a way to say it and to live it and to die for it, and you will make a difference that lasts. And I love the last line, don't waste your life. Come on, men. You don't want to waste your life. And when you invest in the kingdom of God, not just financially, but with your passion and with your attention, you, you, every, every bit of you, you are putting your life into something that will last for eternity. We can say of Boaz, he was and is a man of respect, a man who wanted to protect. He says, stay in my field, a man who wanted to give provision, and he was patient. Notice he doesn't step ahead of God. He says, okay, there is another redeemer. We've got to go through the right process. Man, if I was sitting in Boaz's situation, I'd be like, okay, let's get married right now. Let's find a priest, and let's move forward with this thing as fast as possible because, because well, because, yeah, right? <laughs> And here's the thing I want you to see, that when you, when you revolve your life around said, when you revolve your life around God, men, women in the room, families, children, when you do that, it is ultimately your cure for anxiety. Notice what Boaz says to Ruth in the passage. If you look, he says to her, do not fear. It's the number one commandment in the Bible. Don't fear. I'm going to make sure that you are going to be redeemed. Is your life going hard? Is things tough? Don't fear. And, and not only does he just say, don't fear, he says, okay, just, just so you understand the promise, he says, to, he says to Ruth, he says, give me your shawl. So she hands out her shawl, whatever this piece of clothing is, and he fills it with more food. And the amount of food, theologians say, on the conservative side is at least another 60 pounds. On, on the more... The, the more blessing side, it's as, it's as heavy as close to 100 pounds. And again, if you notice the text, it says that Boaz had to take the food. If you notice, not only does he fill it, he, he has to help lift it on her shoulders. And then he sends her home to show, to show her and his, his soon-to-be mother-in-law, I'm not sending you back empty-handed. I am your guarantee. And then he gives the, the best advice the best advice, really, that, that I could almost give any man who's, who's going to be married or, or, or is married, don't ever go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Yeah? Make sure you bless her. That's one thing I've learned in my marriage. If I can keep my mother-in-law smiling just a little bit, things will go okay. And he just overloads her again with blessing. Ephesians 1 tells us, gives us actually three kind of definitions of being saved. One is, in Ephesians 1, talks about salvation in the past tense. You were saved. And then it says in Ephesians 1, you are saved, and then you shall be saved. And the preservation of your salvation is the Holy Spirit. The food given to Ruth is a seal, just as we've been given in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed us. For those of us who are Christians, that, that God has guaranteed the payment for our salvation. And not only have... Not only are we considered redeemable, we are redeemed, and one day Jesus will come back for us and redeem us ultimately into heaven and in his presence. Isn't that good stuff? It's so good. And so this morning as the worship team comes forward and we worship the Lord, let's just paint this picture here that, that, that Ruth comes dressing herself up with the scent of perfume 
And she leaves and arrives home, probably with the scent of perspiration, carrying this heavy blessing of God. It's a picture for us that God wants you to just feel buckled under the goodness of God. And you know what? We have to be reminded of it. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had a financial thing or, or a medical thing or even a family hardship, and I'm like, God, God, what are you doing in my life? Are you, are you going to provide for me, Lord? Are you still going to take care of my family, God? Are you still going to make sure that ends are going to meet? And then the Lord will come through in some just real spiritual way. He did for us this week, in fact. We had an issue. We thought, man, how are we going to tackle this? And we got blessed. And, and now we're like, okay, God's going to take care of it. And we still have other things that we need to worry about. But we don't need to worry about them. Because God's saying, don't fear. I'm going to take care of you. I love you. You're my child. You're my people. And God wants us to enjoy and celebrate that goodness. Men, I pray that you are encouraged to leave here and say, may my life revolve around the hesed of God, and may I practice the hesed of God. The next steps for this morning are really simple. Number one, pray for boldness, because to actually do what God calls us to do, we need to continue to pray for this. I mentioned this last week, and I thought we need another week of it to pray that God would embolden us like Ruth, embolden us like Boaz, to, to bless people beyond what they really deserve, to love our husbands and our wives and our kids and our friends and our coworkers in a way they don't deserve, we need to pray for the boldness of God to do that. And number two, I want to meddle a little bit and say, find a practical way this week to honor the Lord with your wealth. You know what? That isn't just putting it in the box. Sometimes that's easy for people. Sometimes honoring the Lord with your wealth is saying, working with kids is hard. Brad said there's a need. I'm going to go do vacation Bible school. Sometimes, oh, there's a need in the nursery. I don't like baby drool. We still don't want you there. We, we need the right people. No, I'm just kidding. We, we need help in those areas. And so it's honoring the Lord, and not just in the wealth of your finances, but in the wealth of your time and the wealth of your talent. We got a whole team this last week that's been painting. This just amazes me. Like, that's been painting these huge animals for VBS. It's a jungle theme. So there's like this, like, how tall is that elephant? Like 10 feet? He's eight feet. We got an eight-foot elephant that somebody painted uh, with a team that's going to be up on the stage here in a few weeks. And just this team's been over there just painting and painting every single day so that for a week, these kids can enjoy this jungle theme, love Jesus. And you know what happens to those paintings when they're all done? We reuse them or we throw them away. They'll only be used for a few days. And so I say, what, a, what an incredible waste of time and energy. No, it isn't. We're investing in kids. We're creating something memorable. And so it's worth doing. When a kid walks in and goes, whoa. And then you say, that's in Jesus' name. And they'll remember that their entire lives. Find a way practically this week where God would challenge you to honor the Lord with your wealth as Boaz did. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we come before you again in awe that you are above and beyond kinder to us than we ever deserve. May that humility, Lord, bring us to a place where we desire to revolve our lives around you and have others join us in that process. Lord, we do pray now in advance for boldness and courage to share our faith and to bless other people. And we pray that your spirit would go into our hearts and challenge us how we can use the wealth that we currently have to bless others who do not have. Not so that we will get anything from you, but because we've already received from you. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.